Give me a go, no go for launch. Just when you think you're out, they pull you back in. I was gonna say something that was not true. I, I don't know why we do these. Let's make film history. We are go for launch. Welcome everybody to the Almost Sideways podcast. Happy New Year. This is our first podcast of 2020. Uh, this is our first podcast of the new decade. And this is episode number 60. So we're all just kind of lining up here nicely. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Uh, as always, I am your host, Terry Plucknett. With me are my co-hosts, Todd Plucknett and Zach Saltz. Uh, Zach, what are you drinking today? I am drinking some fabulous Costco wine for this holiday season. Always a fabulous recommendation there. Cabernet Sauvignon is uh, delicious and not too expensive for when you've busted your, your wallet because uh, you foolishly thought that the Wisconsin Badgers were going to cover the two and a half in the Rose Bowl, and uh, they most assuredly did not. So uh, now that you're broke, you can go buy some wonderful Costco. Wait, wait, you're, 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 you're such a miserable sports fan that you bet against your team? No, 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 of course, never, never. I, I was always on board on the Ducks. I never, never a doubt, never a doubt. We beat Wisconsin <laughs> in the Rose Bowl, okay, remember that? And uh, I never a doubt that, that I'm talking about the poor suckers out there who lost money betting on the Badgers. Oh, Wisconsin has now lost four straight Rose Bowls in yeah, less than 10 years. They're terrible. Uh, it not, was a fun game, not though. E not even Dangerous could have helped them. Or Monte Ball. <sighs> yep. Todd, what are you drinking? I am drinking the Walcott Special Release Authentic Kentucky-made bourbon. It's a brand new bourbon, actually, and it's 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 pretty good. It's 90 proof, so it's got a kick, and uh, uh, I'm, I think I'm going to need see. that. <laughs> Very nice. Very nice. And and so so Todd he he mentioned he mentioned the Rose Bowl, um, I gotta mention to you, who would have thought that at the beginning of the NFL season that the the Niners and the Seahawks would play the two best games in the regular season like total. Yeah, I mean for the team that was the second worst team in the NFL last year, I, I the Niners overachieved, the Seahawks definitely overachieved. I, but their games were definite instant classics in prime time. And uh, I think we probably will get one more of those uh, in about a week and a couple days. It's Hold on, possible. How are, we, how are we saying that that Miami-New England game was not the best game of the year in terms of the result? Well, that, that was a pretty great result. However... Nothing. It's magic, you know, baby. The, 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 I thought that I thought the lateral thing was going to come back, just like uh, the Patriots lost. Oh, to the, I know. Or the with uh, Kenyon Drake a couple of years ago. I thought that was the Patriots going to somehow score. I know. What was so hilarious is that Kevin Harlan was doing the Kansas City game, and he was also like talking about what was going on during the New England game, and it took him literally like on the last play forty five seconds to relay what happened, and it was agonizing as a Chiefs fan. <laughs> it was like this is the worst kind of cruelty you could ever imagine, and uh, fortunately it all turned out well. But it was it was pretty scary moments for a few minutes there. I I heard Ryan Fitzpatrick is now uh, the only quarterback to have beaten the Patriots as uh, the starting quarterback of all three NF AFC East teams. Well, that's got to be kind of obvious. It's, he's got to be the only quarterback to ever beat the one team with three different teams in the same division. I know. I mean, the, how crazy be is the that? One, yeah, how crazy that, is that stat? 
I thought what you were going to say, Terry, was that he's the only quarterback to beat the Patriots on all 32 teams, or 31 teams. Uh, that could be, too. He's <laughs> that would be for, impressive. That would be impressive. That would be impressive. Well, he'd be like the Latroy Hawkins of, uh, of the NFL. No, what was it? Octavio Dotel. Didn't he play for like 14 teams in his baseball career? Something like that. Anyways, or is it Edwin Jackson? Edwin Jackson, I think, might have the record, like 14 teams. Anyways. It's up there. It's up there. All right. I need to say what I'm drinking, and I'm really excited about what I'm drinking. I just got back from the grocery store. I was going down the beer aisle. I was trying to find something good. You know, you got all the seasonal brews out there right now, and then I found it. This might be my favorite one I've ever had. So Pelican Brewery, Oregon Coast, um, they have their uh, a milk stout that I'm drinking. Um, it is inspired by a white Russian, and it is called The Brood Abides. Yes. Nice. So it is, yeah, it is a white Russian-inspired milk stout, and it is good. <laughs> so anytime you, I you get a pun, anytime you can get a pun on the beer label, you know you're you know you're winning in life. Mm-hmm. Oh, and it's so smooth too. It's really good. All right, uh, so. We're going to get into some movie reviews today and, uh, and our, of course, our power ranking coming up. We've got some trivia, some movies to talk about with that. But first, we have uh, the Golden Globes coming up this Sunday, kind of kicking off the, the main major part of, of this uh, awards season. So we thought, not in, in, as kind of an abbreviated preview, uh, we would go through and give one bold prediction each for the Golden Globes. Uh, Todd, I'm going to start with you. Give me a bold prediction for the Golden Globes. Okay, so I was doing my predictions the other day on Gold Derby, and I was, I know, okay, there are 25 categories at the Golden Globes. Netflix is nominated for 34 Golden Globes. I, I think they're going 0 for 34. Ooh. There are a couple that I've I predicted them to win, but I'm not. But they're not really the favorite. Like I would predict Merritt Weaver to win for Unbelievable, but it's probably going to be Michelle Williams for Fosse Verdon. Like I don't know. I I, I I mean I I bet Joker at seven to one to uh, to win Best Drama Series. So I think it's going to take out the the top two contenders in in that category that are both Netflix. I don't. I, I think they're going over thirty four. That's my bold prediction. Wow, that that is a bold prediction. That's bold. As a bold prediction. Well, well, you kind you kind of stole my my bold prediction, and that was that Joker's gonna win best uh, best picture drama. I I think it, I think that's you you've got like three heavy hitters that are major contenders. You got the Irishman, you got Marriage Story, you got 1917. But something weird always happens at the Golden Globes, and um, the fact that it won the Golden Lion at Venice shows that the that the foreign the foreign media and the foreign um, the people overseas love this movie and I think they're going to ride it to a to a best picture win which is going to freak everybody out to think that it's actually a major best picture Oscar contender which it isn't um, but yeah, that's my bold prediction Joker will will uh, win best picture drama yeah there are weird things like when Babel won that was the only award it won at the Golden Globes and it won best picture drama and then of course Bohemian Rhapsody won last year it yeah, that, you, that category is a, a little funky. You didn't say it right, Todd. You didn't say it right. What 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 one what one that uh, Golden Globe Best Picture? Babul. <laughs> Babul. We we not Bobby. <laughs> we that we always quote that because Arnold Schwarzenegger announced that one, 
And it was all these like one word, <laughs> one word things. The queen. The queen. Babble. Bobby. Little children. The departed. <laughs> the departed. Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, they were at seven to one. I was like, man, I just feel like Todd Phillips got the director nomination. I think it's winning best drama. Here, here, here's another bold prediction for you: Eddie Murphy will win best actor comedy musical. Well, he's the odds-on favorite. Is he? Well, that makes sense. I, I knew I knew I was you know I'm, I'm on the but same. But that, that's there. a Netflix one, so I have Leo winning. Oh, okay, okay, you got to make that other bold prediction work. How, how about this one? Anna de Armas wins best actress for Knives Out. No way. That's a bold prediction. Well, I don't. I don't think Aquafina is a major favorite, but the other ones are just so weak that I, know. I mean, I, I I could see it. I don't. Know. Zach, what's your bold prediction? We didn't get one. Yeah, I went a different. I went a different direction completely. I went Tom Hanks acceptance speech under six and a half minutes. <laughs> and this one's For supporting li- actor. Of course, it's going to be no, under. No, no, gonna, Cecil no. B. I'm talking about the the Cecil B. DeMille Award. Tom. Isn't that Hank? Isn't that De Niro? No, Hanks is getting season. No, it's you're Tom thinking Hanks. you're thinking SAG. De Niro's oh, getting the, the SAG. SAG has De Niro. Okay. Yeah. I also like Ricky Gervais to make a Mel Gibson joke in the opening monologue. Well, I, that's like, you know, kind yeah. of his thing. He, maybe he maybe he watched Drag the Cost Concrete. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. It, it it might tie into his joke. Actually, I can see it. I can see it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Ricky, if you're listening to this podcast <laughs> We have we have an opening zinger for you. <laughs> do you remember just, what he said? Uh, do you remember uh, what he said yeah. about uh, do you remember his Mel Gibson joke at the last one? Should I say it on air? Am I gonna offend people? All, Probably. all three listeners. He said, uh, I don't know how this happens. I, I don't know who's responsible for this. Well, Mel, you know we know who Mel thinks is responsible. You know, this is what his sixth time hosting now. I mean, he, he's he's becoming the guy, and nobody wanted him to do it because he says some crazy shit. But he doesn't care. <laughs> they just they just keep on hiring him. It's awesome. Uh, it's great. It's a beautiful thing. Okay, well let's uh let's get into our movie reviews here because I uh I think we're both we're all pretty excited about the movies that we're going to be reviewing here. I love this movie so much. I did not really like this film at all. This is the most Zach movie ever made. You gotta see it. Movie reviews. Um, there are some major award contenders came out right around. I think both came out on Christmas wide. Um, both have, I think, have a potential to uh, to do some damage at the Oscars potentially. Both uh, have potential to uh, to crack some top ten lists, which we'll be uh, revealing on our next podcast. Um, we'll be doing top 10 of 2019 on the next one. Then after that, we'll be talking top 10 of the decade. But uh, we're going to be doing some movie reviews. Our first one we're going to talk about is the new Safdie Brothers movie, Uncut Gems, starring Adam Sandler. And Todd, am I going to you first? Yeah. Yeah. All right, Todd, tell us uh, what it's about and what you thought. Okay, Uncut Gems is a movie about this guy named Howard Ratner, played by... Adam Sandler, and he's a 2012 jeweler in the New York Diamond District, and he's basically addicted to gambling. Like, he, he gets in deeper and deeper with the mob, sort of, but it's also his family, uh, and he makes a series of bad bets, but he's still always looking for that big score. Uh, he has no problem, 
you know, sacrificing logic or pawning off something that isn't his just so he could place a high-stakes parlay on the Eastern Conference semis. Yeah, he has to juggle, like, his business, his relationship with his wife and kids, uh, his friends, his adversaries, his mistress, the, the, guy he, the guys who won his head. You know, it's, it, it gets really complicated. It's, it's a movie that's filled with stress. It's super intense, frustrating, but it's intoxicating and riveting. And Adam Sandler is insane in this movie. It's his best performance by a mile, and maybe the best performance by anyone in 2019. He has that Sandler charm, but he's doing, like, reprehensible things, so he, he's constantly, you know, betraying everyone around him and sort of the audience at the same time. His co-star is uh, Julia Fox, who gives her first performance, and she is awesome. Uh, uh, she plays the, the mistress, and uh, I think she should be in the Oscar conversation, but unfortunately it's her first role, so she's not. Adina Menzel is playing against type, which is cool to see. The Weeknd is in it, and Kevin Garnett, who are great actual actors it's not just like a gimmick having them in the movie playing themselves like they actually are really good and have the charisma to do that there's also eric bogosian in it who is really cool to see i haven't seen him in like a relevant role in like 30 years and um there uh, it's uh the safety brothers are really interesting directors they got like their their debut was daddy longwoods which was a super indie movie that was like a won the cassavetes award then they had Heaven Knows What, which was a really dark, dark movie. Then they had this basketball documentary called Lenny Cook, which I watched recently, which is really cool, sort of like a poor man's hoop dreams. And then they had Good Time, which sort of broke through to be something that a lot of people started paying attention to because it's a Robert Pattinson movie. It was a, it was a heist movie. And uh, it eventually is what got Sandler wanting to make the movie because he uh, then knew who these people were when he actually passed on the movie like, like 10 years ago. Uh they have this style that like digs in and it's stuff that you don't necessarily want to look at but you can't look away because the drama they create is so like swelling uh they're really interesting guys and i can't wait to see what they do after this with uh being able to green light stuff that wouldn't normally get green light and get the actors that they actually want to work with they like in this movie there's like an inevitable like doom that's pending throughout the last like 30 minutes and it, as it draws near you just have your like, jaw on the on the floor just mesmerized uh, it ruined the rest of my day because I couldn't get it out of my head. It, it gets under your skin and just will not let you go. It is an easy four-star movie, and uh, I, I, I cannot say enough good things about it. Yeah, I, uh, I'll, I'll go next on this one. Yeah, I got it four stars, too. I, uh, I wrote a review last weekend uh, on, the, on the website for this one, and it ended up being a really short review because I realized I was really just left speechless by it. I couldn't, I, I couldn't really say anything because I didn't want to... I almost didn't want to give away anything because you can kind of talk about it, but you, like you said, Todd, it, it's just a movie that you you just sit on the edge of your seat and you can't look away, even though it's it it pains you to watch, but you can't. I, I compared it to like, uh, you know, you get the, you see those YouTube videos of like the most horrific sports injuries of all time, and you're just like, oh, oh, that's that's terrible. Rewind and watch it again. It's like you just can't can't look away even though you know what you're watching is like this horrible horrible tragedy or or you just it, it's 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 ridiculous i i said it was it was mesmerizing torturous thrilling painful and haunting those are the words i used to describe it and like you said adam sandler i yeah this is what everyone's kind of been you know, ever since he did Punch Drunk Love, it's like is that was like the one time he actually stepped away and was an actual actor, and this is 
showing yes he, he can he can actually act and uh i i i loved it i loved it i watched it as a second part of a double feature um that that ended at like one o'clock in the morning um and uh yeah like you said you can't get it out of your head and i had to go to bed with that in my head man that was <laughs> that was messed up <laughs> but yeah easy four-star movie like you said easy easy and the more i think about yep. it the, the better it gets yeah, I think I told you, it's the most stressful movie I've seen since Before the Devil Knows You're Dead. Like, I mean, it's just got that much anxiety built up throughout this, like, two hours and ten minutes. It's, it's, I don't, I don't know, it, but it's so enthralling at the same time. And I, yeah, I don't know, what do you think, Zach? Yeah, I mean, one of the things you have to ask yourself with this movie is, like, is it actually a great movie, or is it a great movie because it's about sports gambling, and it has Kevin Garnett in it, and it involves, it's with Adam Sandler, like... And, and we've always liked the Safdie brothers. Like, is it a movie that is truly a great movie, or do, do we three just like it? And I think the answer is that it is truly a great movie. Uh, because, I mean, the sports gambling, it is, uh, you know, a, a crucial part of this movie. But really, it's it's a character study about this guy who is under tremendous pressure. So much pressure that he doesn't even really care about the results of his colonoscopy, which is a great sort of subplot in this, in this movie. Um, but, like... Uh, but you know, like you said, Terry, it's like he's addicted to it. I mean, like, why, you know, why do drugs when you can live this this lifestyle? You know, and by the way, why do drugs when you could watch this movie? I mean, this movie is like a crazy experience to watch, and that's what the Softy Brothers are all about. They're about this hypnotic, you know, they got the synth going and the and the and the you know uh, the 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 underground music in the background, and it's like. Um, this is a total Softie Brothers movie, but I think with Sandler in it and uh, some of the components make it a little bit more uh, palatable to maybe people who would who would have thought that Heaven Knows What's maybe a little bit too too fringe for them. Um, yeah, this is an awesome movie, and I think if if anything, I don't know if the Oscars are going to recognize this movie because they never recognize movies like this. I, this movie is just way too cool for Oscar voters. But I will say that any Oscar voter that watches this movie and then watches. Uh, the Irishman. I don't know how they could possibly vote for The Irishman after seeing a movie this alive, this kinetic, this unpredictable, and then go watch three and a half hours of boredom and uh, death. Like, I, I feel like this movie could derail The Irishman for some Oscar voters, but it t- should totally be nominated. Todd's absolutely right about Julia Fox. She has my Best Supporting Actress award in the bag. She's amazing in this movie. I can't believe it's her first role. She takes what is a thankless role in the first 30 minutes of this movie and and makes it something that is deeply human and you actually really like her by the end of the movie like she's a, a compelling really likable character which is also to say you like the Adina Manzel character Adina Manzel is basically playing a character that Brooke Shields would have played like 15 years ago you know and she's awesome uh KG is amazing in it Mike Francesa as the as the bookie yes. I mean, he's amazing in this movie Mike and Mad Dog it's amazing but uh this movie belongs to Adam Sandler I texted Todd after this movie I can't imagine anyone outside of 70s Pacino in this role although I did think a little bit of Sasha Baron Cohen I but maybe it was the way that Adam Sandler talked in this movie that was a little bit like Bruno or something or like Borat but he's awesome in this movie he deserves Oscar nominations four stars I don't know is there something even more powerful than thrice approved because this movie reaches it well we could say quad approved because I know Adam also gave this movie four stars so I think yeah, this, but this is isn't a... just thumbs up this is four stars this, <laughs> yeah, is, this yeah. is yeah above other stuff yeah that, I... when you say Sasha Baron Cohen I know Sasha Baron Cohen was 
uh, attached to the movie at one point. So was Jonah Hill. And I was thinking about them in the role, and I think they could have done it. But the problem is that, like, I think Jonah Hill would have made him way too dickish. Like, I, don't, I think the, the thing with Sandler is that you like him for some reason. He's a horrible person, but you still want him to succeed for some reason. But, like, with Jonah Hill, like, he's done these kind of roles with, like, War Dogs and, uh, like, The Wolf of Wall Street and stuff, and you don't like him because he's a horrible person. You don't like him. But, like, Sandler, for some reason, you like him, and that's what actually draws us into this movie even more, I think, rather than just, like, watching some carnage on the on the screen. It's a good point. Yeah, you guys, you guys mentioned Adina Menzel. That was a surprise for me in this. I mean, where did that performance come from? I didn't know she had that in her. I mean, that that was that was amazing she showed that she really she really has some acting chops beyond just being the amazing singer that that pops up in musicals and then we haven't even talked about lakeith stanfield like when you're not even talking about lakeith stanfield like you know that this cast is insane right Mm -hmm. and and he's great in this movie too like everyone's great it's it's i mean it's sandler's movie but it's really an ensemble piece and everyone like even the 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 small roles are amazing in this movie like how about the girl that's at the at the auction counter and she's on the phone talking to her boss like i don't know who that actress is but she was amazing in her three or four minutes like the small roles in this movie are just perfectly cast awesome the softie brothers are really good at casting kind of bit roles and sort of people on the fringes and uh, this movie is just you know it's it should be their coronation and if if there was justice in the world they would would be getting some serious Oscar attention. I don't know if this movie will, but it should. Well, I think it, it's definitely a favorite to be uh, to be our almost sideways number one of 2019, if we know that all four of us are giving it four stars before we even reveal our top tens. But, uh, but yeah. Zach, I have one more question for you. We, you got, we've got Mike Francesa in there as the, as the bookie. Who would Mad Dog play if he, would, if he had been cast in this movie? <sighs> Dog, dog. Uh, I, I I don't know. Um, uh, maybe like the auctioneer. We got yeah. we got a hundred thousand, hundred thousand here. <laughs> oh dog, oh dog. Yeah, the, the auctioneer's a good one. Who's gonna buy it? Uh, yeah, I don't know. That's a great question. Maybe, maybe like the the neighbor that lets Adam Sandler's kid shit in his toilet. That would be a great one. What about what about the like, the uh, the uh, the really uh, homely, dorky looking uh, collector that was coming by trying to get it? That that. Oh yeah, the the guy who looked a little bit like Clint Howard. Mm-hmm. Admit it, just just a little bit. A little bit, a little bit. But but yeah, can't can't can you see it? Can't you see it? Uh, Howard, Howard, I need the money. I need the money, Howard. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I just love Mad Dog. He's, he's just out of curiosity. I had a question for both of you. Did you know going into watching this movie what happened with Boston in that NBA series? Because I did. I, I actually remembered that series, and it, I don't think it spoils the movie, but it probably helps to not know what what actually happened. I, I well, I mean, I knew I knew that the other team did not <laughs> make it to the Eastern Conference Finals <laughs> that year. So I, I guess, guess that's I kind of knew. Yeah, I, I I really didn't even. And didn't even think about it. I, I didn't even want to put myself in, in those... I just was so checked into what was going on that I didn't even think about, wait, what well, actually so happened up, in this in, game? Interesting thing, because, like, okay, so this movie clearly takes place in 2012, so I could show this series, but, like, there was... Legalized gambling was not around yet, and there was a scene at a sports book in Connecticut which could not have happened in 2012. It would have had to have been in Las Vegas, so it, it sort of is, like, one of those things where 
they, if they made it today, they wouldn't be able to have that footage, which is makes a huge suspense part of like two parts of the movie. So I don't know. It, it's it's kind of that like give and take thing. But she couldn't have taken a, a helicopter all the way across the country, I guess. Terry was Adam Sandler's six six way parlay at the beginning of this movie better than your six way parlay in Vegas? <laughs> well, mine mine was just a three way parlay, and uh, and I, I, I think six. no, it was it was three. I and, thought you spent your like your last two dollars on it or something. I, it, it was like I, I had like thirty two dollars and sixty one cents left or something like that, and I put it all on my three way parlay. And honestly, I think it is just as impressive for me to lose every part of my three way parlay as for him to hit on all six. So, <laughs> I, I but it, no no sports book is or anybody is ever going to take a parlay of the first half and the game at the end of the game and like the, you can't do that. <laughs> like, well, well, but it, it's 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 just Mike Francesa in the back of a restaurant. I mean, it's not an actual sports book at that point. Yeah, that, that's the dumbest bet I ever heard. I disagree. <laughs> I disagree. <laughs> Uh, we could talk about this movie forever and I think we're going to talk about it next week when we hit our top 10 list because it being a four star across the board it's got it's got to show up on on uh, on multiple lists next week so the, the odds would be high on that yes that, that's yes. that's got to be up, up you know what a minus 750 yeah yeah Def, definitely a prop bet for our top 10 uh, our top 10 reveal there uh, so let's move on from it then and get into our other movie, which can there be a more polar opposite movie than little women? I mean, the, <laughs> this is about as polar opposite from, from uncut gems as we can get, but that's our other movie we're reviewing also came out on Christmas. Greta Gerwig's adaptation of the classic, uh, of the classic novel. Uh, Zach, you're going to start us out with this one. Uh, tell us what you thought. Okay. So little women is the, a uh, new film by Greta Gerwig, her follow-up to Lady Bird, and it has uh, some of the mem- same members of the Lady Bird cast, including Shearsha Ronan, who plays Joe March, Timothée Chalamet as Theodore Laurie Lawrence, and there's even a nice small role for uh, Tracy Letts, who played Lady Bird's father. So um, it was kind of eye-raising a little bit to see Greta Gerwig's new project be an adaptation of this like classic 19th century novel. Um, but watching the movie, you can kind of understand why she adapted it, and certainly the ways that she maybe sees herself in the character of Joe, which in many respects was what Louisa May Alcott saw herself when she was writing the novel. Um, Joe is this like very iconoclastic nonconformist in the uh, in the 1860s. You know the, the novel. The story takes place in uh, Massachusetts in the midst of the Civil War, and while Father March is away fighting, the March sisters, Joe, Meg, M- Amy, and Beth, have to uh, you know uh, r- rely on themselves. They say they live in poverty, even though their house looks pretty nice. Uh, Marmy, played by Laura Dern, kind of watches over them, and uh, the movie's mostly though about. Joe and Amy, I would say. I, I would think that they get the majority of the of the screen time. And Amy in this movie is played by Florence Pugh. The movie does something kind of interesting. Well, actually, before I say that, I will say, I'm a big fan of the novel Little Women. I read it in middle school. I really liked it. And I really liked the 1994 version of Little uh, Women directed by uh, Gillian Armstrong with Winona Ryder and I think one of her best performances. So that influenced a little bit what I thought about this movie. Um, 
if, if there was a criticism of the 1994 Little Women, it's that it's a little bit hollow. I actually watched that movie a, a few weeks ago, uh, rewatched it, and uh, it feels a little bit masterpiece theater-ish. Uh, this movie kind of is almost the polar opposite of that. This movie is, like, very lively. It has a very strong visual uh, tone to it, um, and it uh, does something, it kind of jumbles the chronology of the events of the book a little bit. It's told sort of in flashback, and it really sort of looks at how Joe is writing the book as the as the story kind of is happening in, in real time um Shirsha Ronan is great in this movie. I mean, she's great in everything. That's not particularly a surprise. Florence Pugh is getting a lot of Oscar uh, uh, buzz for this movie. She's had an incredible 2019. Emma Watson's good in this movie, too. I think one of the problems with this movie, though, and this was not so much a problem in the 1994 version, but for me, by far the most interesting character in this movie is Joe. I mean, Joe is this woman who writes these plays. She uh, is absolutely uh, uh, opposed to the patriarchy recognizes uh, the misogynistic way of the world and sets out a life for herself. And to me, that is more compelling than, uh, you know, Meg in an unhappy marriage, Amy painting paintings in uh, Paris, and Beth dying, okay? So Joe's story is is the most compelling, and if there is a flaw with this movie, it's I wish the movie had really just been about Joe. That's kind of what the 1994 movie was about. It focused really more on Winona Ryder. So Shusha Ronan's the best part in this movie. The other parts I don't think quite add up. Um, and I do feel like this movie goes a little bit over long. I, f- I feel like it doesn't really stick the landing. The last 15 minutes are kind of jumbled and awkward. Um, and it kind of deviates really from, from one of the points of the book, which is that it, the book isn't so much that it is, it, it is anti-marriage. The book says that uh, marriage should be uh, about uh, the intellectual equivalency. And I think the movie, I don't know, it deviates from that a little bit. I don't really have a problem with, with that interpretation of it, but it's just kind of the, the, the way that it, that it lands is a little jumbled at the end. So... All in all, it's an entertaining movie. Lots of people at the theater. Lots of people crying at the movie. Uh, some very good scenes in it. I can't really give it above three stars, though. And maybe it's because I'm influenced by the earlier film, and maybe it's because I didn't really care about any of the characters other than Sheer Sharonin, but it's a well-done movie. I don't think it's going to win Best Picture, as I initially predicted, but uh, it's a solid uh, holiday entertainment for everybody. All right. Todd, where are you at with this one? Uh... Yeah, I, I think I, I like it more than Zach. I, I, I've seen, uh, like, three different adaptations of this book, so, I, I mean, I have a decent uh, perspective on the, the characters, and I, I feel like the movie, like you like you were saying, like, I, I feel like Beth and uh, Meg are kind of abandoned in the, in the movie. I, I feel like we don't get a whole lot of character development with them, so when we're supposed to feel something for them, we really don't. It's, it's clearly about Joe and Amy, because they're the more interesting characters and the better actresses. And, uh, because Florence Pugh is just, I mean, she's, like, devious, but likable, and, and obviously Saoirse Ronan's amazing. And, I don't know, I, I do like the supporting cast. I didn't even know Bob Odenkirk was going to be in the movie, which was, it was cool to see. And, um, obviously, I mean, seeing Meryl Streep and anything is, is, is good. But, yeah, I mean, because there were, it was so focused on those two characters, I, they, like, it kind of took away, it kind of reminded me of, like, The Beguiled or something. Like, the, the remake, it's way more polished and style and stylish than that but i mean that, that's sort of the feeling i got but i i don't know why the movie's kind of getting ignored by the major awards i mean it does look way more modern than like a classic uh novel adaptation like this would normally be like the costumes don't aren't really that flashy the set direction lo- looks like it could almost be in like present day which is kind of interesting and the, the the they play with the the timeline a little bit 
which makes it I, I thought it was a thrilling you know two hours 15 minutes I didn't think it was over long I I, I really liked the movie and I, I think it's probably my favorite of the three or four versions that I've seen I, I give it three and a half stars and I don't really I, I don't know I, I can't I can't see how you could possibly think the 94 version is better ouch gauntlet thrown <laughs> you have any response to that Zach Oh, I think Winona Ryder is amazing in that movie, though. You know, and that movie had a, a bit more of a tighter focus on the Joe character. And uh, I also, I don't know, like Florence Pugh, I mean, I know this is an annoying nitpick, but in in the 94 version, you know, it's Kirsten Dunst as young Amy, and then she grows into a different actress. Like, Florence Pugh in this movie is not a convincing, like, 12-year-old. I'm sorry. She just isn't. Like, they try their damnedest with, like, her hair, but her voice is so low that it's not really believable. Maybe my problem in this movie is Florence Pugh, who I think is a great actress, and I, I really love everything she's in, but uh, just a little, a little less of her and more uh, Shearsha. Does she get the Oscar nomination? Oh, I think so, yeah. Todd? Probably not. Ooh. Alright. I, I think it really is gonna I think it, it'll be a, like a best original score nomination and it should get an adapted screenplay nomination. That category is kinda weak, but uh, other than that I think it's pretty much gonna get ignored. I, I don't know, maybe it gets costumes, but I, I really don't think the costumes were all that flashy. Yeah. Alright, so uh for me, I'm giving this one three and a half stars. Um I really, really liked it, but I have to preface this. This is my my first experience with the, the Little Women story. I've never read the book. I've never seen any of the other adaptations. This is the first time I've seen the story, and I really enjoyed it. I, I loved the, the, the energy of it, um, and, uh, and I, that had to be... That, that's all Greta Gerwig bringing that. I mean, the, the energy and the, the, the pace of it, I, I loved um and uh the her direction of it the cinematography is beautiful all of that i actually wish it were longer i i I wanted to to live with these characters a little longer because i really enjoyed them um the one critique i have is being fresh to the story for the first time having the disconnected uh storyline and the constant jumps forward and back made the story a little hard to follow for someone who didn't know what the story was Um, if I knew the story, if I had read the book or if I had seen some of the other adaptations, um, it would have been a little different, but it just, it made some of the, some of the punches and some of the really dramatic moments hard to get into because they had been so chopped up. Um, because of that, I think it's going to be a very rewatchable movie and I think I'm going to like it more and more and more on every rewatch because I'll understand the story that much more every time I watch it um, and I'll and I'll love it even more but right now it's just at three and a half stars I could see it moving up uh, moving up later on but that's that's my biggest thing with it of never experiencing the story before uh, the way the story was told made it hard to hard to get into the story as much as if as if it were just a traditional telling that doesn't sound like a three and a half star review <laughs> well but I, I loved everything else about it I loved the story it just was it just was hard to, hard for those moments to to really uh, to really hit home, even though they did. But like I, I was like, man, this could be this could be a four star masterpiece if I knew what, I knew what was going on a little bit more. Yeah, yeah well, I mean, she clearly has an affection for the story, and but the, the but she didn't want to just make another 
just straight adaptation of it. She wanted to make it modern. She wanted to make it something that's gonna, you know, be different than the than the ones that just like go straight by the numbers from like, the book. So well, yeah, and I'm not blaming her for it at all. And I can totally, like I said, I totally understand what she was doing, and I think it's effective. It's just hard for someone who is a first time first time uh, entering that storyline to really grasp everything with that going on. Yeah, I was having I was wondering that same thing as I was watching the movie. Like even in the first 10 minutes of the movie, you know, Joe refers to Amy's I mean, this is sort of a spoiler, I guess, but it's in the first 10 minutes of the movie, but like Amy's marriage to Lori because, you know, she, he reject or, or she rejected him earlier. Like that's a, that's a really powerful scene in the book and in the Winona Ryder version, I think it's one of the best scenes in that movie because it shows how how they're the, both those characters are really powerfully disconnected from from like the society they live in. And this this movie, I mean, it's a good scene, but because it's mentioned the first 10 minutes, you kind of already know what's going to happen, slash you're sort of confused. Like, it doesn't really make a lot of sense. I will say one thing that maybe is an improvement about this one over the 94 version is I really like Timothy Chalamet's interpretation of Laurie, especially in the scenes in Paris where he's basically just a drunken rich kid. Like, that's very different than the way that uh, Christian Bale played the movie in 94, and I think it, it actually adds uh, more complexity to the character, and he's really good in this movie too. I mean, I think him and, and Shearsha Ronan have great chemistry in this movie and it's i think one of the best parts of it the other thing i kept on thinking as i was watching it is i couldn't help but think that joe is just a uh a an updated version of briny from atonement um it, it's a very similar character of just someone who's completely lost in their stories and constantly writing and forcing her her family and friends to be in her plays and and all this stuff it, it's a very similar character it's just this is what briny would have been grown up if she hadn't, you know, gotten into all the crap she was in in Atonement. Well, all the, all the the Marsh sisters, I, I, all I hear is uh, Greta Gerwig talking. Like, I feel like she could have played every one of those roles if she was younger. I mean, it's almost like Tarantino back in, like, 92, 94. Like, every character, you just hear Tarantino's voice out of their mouths. So, like, I feel like every character just sounds like Greta Gerwig. I feel like the Chris Cooper scenes were pretty painful in this movie. They were very, very corny. Very corny. Those scenes were not in the '94 version. As painful was his makeup. <laughs> that too. And uh, I also couldn't help but think, but the moment I forgot Bob Odenkirk was in this movie, and when he shows up midway through this movie, I thought it was Kevin Costner, and then I remembered uh, Saul Goodman talking about how he passed off for Kevin Costner at one point. I don't know. Bob Odenkirk can't play anything that isn't Saul Goodman. It just ruins the whole experience, and this is like a fairly serious role, so it just ruined it. Yeah, I didn't think he worked either. Yeah, the other thing that didn't work, I, I love Tim, Timothy Chalamet in this. That hairdo is not 1860s. Uh, he, he, he needs a different haircut at some point in his life. That's what I'm saying. Like, nothing <laughs> looks like old 1800s kind of stuff. Like, the, 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 like none of the, the decorations even do. Like, it's, it's, it looks so modern. It's, it's, and I don't know. Terry, can you watch the 94 version and tell Todd to shut up? Like, I, the 94 version's a really I, good movie. I like the 94 version a lot, and I like the, the version with Katherine Hepburn a lot, but I mean, but I feel like this one is just, it, it takes it to a different level. It, it, it takes a, a story that could be kind of stale and, and makes it, like, really kind of hip. I, I will watch the 94 version, but I, I have a feeling, I don't know, we'll see. I will watch it at some point. But we're still saying this is a thrice-approved movie. Um, thrice-approved. Probably not one that's going to pop up on top ten lists, but still thrice-approved. Um, 
go out and see see this. Uh, both are still playing in theaters now, um, and uh, things have kind of slowed down a little bit with uh, stuff coming out. I think there's one new movie coming out this weekend. So go see uh, go see Uncut Gems. Go see Little Women. Uh, both are are solid movies. Um, one's a masterpiece. One is very very good. So uh, so go see these two while they're still in theaters. All right. So there are our movies. Um, we're going to be moving on. We usually do a spotlight segment at this point, but since we had two great movies that we needed to talk about, uh, we're skipping that this time, and we're going straight to our power rankings. You can't top that. Yeah, that's the movie about the horse. I'm going to pull an audible at the last minute here. That's because I haven't seen it. Power rankings. Not including Fargo. Can't choose Fargo ever again. Uh, last time on power rankings previously on power rankings uh todd won and uh so he's going to tell us a little bit about uh what we're going to be doing in this uh in this countdown here todd okay so since i win this so uh not very often anymore i i I like to play with it a little bit so 1917 is coming out next week and so i decided to go with movies that have a number in the title but that'd be too easy because i hate just like doing the best movies of anything because you could just like go to your top 100 list and pluck out the top five in that so i'm going the best performances in movies that have a number in the title best performances from movies that have a number in the title now you had some some stipulations on what counts as a number because you know there has to be rules so, so tell us what rules we had to play by here. Well, the rules that I came up with that may or may not be followed by you guys are that it has to be an actual <laughs> number. Uh, it the number can be spelled out, but it uh, I I don't count like a, a number that's part of like a like a fraction or a, what, what's the word. Like, uh, so third won't count, or fourth won't count, but if it's spelled out, like, two for the money will count. I highly doubt anybody's putting two for the money on, <laughs> That's on why I list. said it, so yeah, that... Yeah. Hey, your, 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 your go-to, amazing, your go-to that you always see, said your, is, Your like, question the, was, do sequels count like Spider-Man 2? So, I said yes, yeah. and you said, okay, I'm not using it. So, I don't know. You guys are going to do what you're going to do, but uh, this should be a fun list. I didn't feel like we're going to talk about a bunch of movies and performances that we wouldn't normally talk about. Yeah, so you did You did say that, that sequels count, right? Yes? Yeah, I yeah. did, but you said yeah. you're, you're not doing that. So No, no, I'm not. <laughs> yeah, I tried to make that's it lame. even. Yeah, that, that's, 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 that's a cop-out. That's what I said. So I said. Just, just put, yeah. I, I'm, I'm going to say... Uh, Steve Gutenberg from uh, Police Academy 2, 3, and 4. Um, no, no. Um, anyways, so, so yeah, so those are the rules Todd gave us. And I played by the rules. However, I made it even, even stricter for me. Um, so my rules were it had to be... It, I, I was not going to put any sequels on my list. But it also had to actually have the digit in the title. It couldn't be spelled out. It had to have the digit. So that's what I Why went even with. make rules then? <laughs> I'm following the rules. Why ask me the rules if I'm you're follow- not going to? I am following the rules. I just made it even even tighter. This is what it, this is what we always do. This is what do you we think always the Softy brothers have fights like this? That's what I want to know. <laughs> Him, them and Ronald Bronstein, I'm sure they do. 
we we always do this. We podcast. we always say, okay, th- this is how this is how I I did this, and I I made I decided to do it this way and made sure I did this. So that I'm playing by the rules. I'm not throwing your rules out, even though I think they're stupid. Um, I'm <laughs> Thank you. I'm playing by your rules. I'm just doing it doing it a slight a slightly more strict for for me. It, it's it's like saying I I only picked one movie from every decade. It's kind of like doing that. It's just it's my way of doing it. So all of mine well, have we to have the digit. Specify that. Now, well, sometimes we do. Sometimes you just do it on your own. Um, we just anyways, don't know what Adam's going to do. That's the problem. We have no idea what Adam's going to do. So uh, number five, I'm starting out. Uh, number five on my list is uh, is Steve Carell as Andy from the Forty Year Old Virgin. Um, I, I it, it's such a great movie. It's it's Judd Apatow at his at his peak, at his best, and honestly, it's Steve Carell at his best, uh, playing this this just awkward guy and uh and i love this movie because you it's it's this hilarious movie with all this amazing humor all these hilarious people in it but uh it's what those early apatow movies did so well it also had the heart and um anybody but steve carell in this role wouldn't have brought the heart quite like he did um and he's so unique in that way um and uh now, I mean, I was gonna say it's one of. It, I think it still is one of his best performances, even though now he's doing uh, much more serious work. Um, this was definitely what put him on a map on the map as a great actor, um, and uh, and yeah. So I'm I'm going with uh, with Steve Carell, Forty Year Old Virgin. That's my number five. Zach, you're next. Well, funny you should say that, Terry, because I made a lot of rules for myself, and <laughs> the biggest rule that I made was that there are no rules. So, um, I, com- I blatantly violated some of Todd's stupid rules, because I also found them kind of stupid, and, you know, this is the only podcast where Cheers. you're going to find this list. Uh, it, exactly, exactly. No one out there, no one out there is doing stuff this cutting edge of characters from movies with a number in the title. I mean, that's just... You know, I can't see that anywhere wow, else. The, yeah, that's, that's this is the first time you're seeing this on this podcast, and it's not you're not gonna find you're not gonna find this on the Red and Brown podcast. Are you kidding me? We're 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 decades, we're light years ahead of them. Anyway, um, okay, going to my number five pick. Uh, my number five pick is a is a, well, you'll see what I did. I uh, I decided to go. I decided Just to go with it, Paul. Dude. I decided to go with Paul Rudd from This Is Forty Year Old Virgin, and. Uh, <laughs> He's really good in both those movies, so I felt like I should combine them, and uh, they both have the number forty in the title, and um, he's really good. Uh, in in forty year old version, he plays the guy who works at Circuit City with the Andy character aforementioned by Terry, and he just got through a really big breakup with uh, 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 what's her name? I'm sorry, Kelly from The Office, uh, Mindy Kaling. And uh, he's he's pretty devastated over that. And then in, in This Is 40, he... Well, in 40-Year-Old in Virgin, he makes fun of Steve Carell riding a bike. And in This Is 40, he's riding a bike. And he gets in a pretty brutal bike accident at the end of the movie. And it's Paul Rudd. I mean, it's awesome. He was at the 2015 Royals celebration. So let's just honor Paul Rudd for the greatness that, that he is. Great Kansas City fan. Legendary. Does not really age that much. He could be 40. He could be 40. This is 40. I don't know. But uh, he's definitely not a 40-year-old virgin. He's awesome. Paul Rudd for This is 40-year-old virgin. My number five. I think you picked him. Adam would be proud. 
Adam would be proud of that pick. I think you picked him simply because you realized you could say that. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't Circuit City. It was like Smart Tech or something. It, it was. It was supposed to be Best Buy. Let's just face it. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Dodd number five. Uh, my number five, uh, going a completely different route. I went Evan Rachel Wood in thirteen, uh, and I. It's a performance that I feel like is probably her best is she's wise beyond her years like she was nominated for best drama actress at the golden globes and at that age like that's really rare and uh in almost any other year she probably would have won but she was up against charlie's there and so that was never gonna work but she's like emotional she's furious she like she's heartbreaking because she's like so rebellious toward her mom who loves her but uh, at the same time like she's like completely defiant but we feel for it at the same time it's a phenomenal performance and i think one of the best performances of the 2000s and uh, maybe a fan of hers from the the moment I first saw the movie. Very nice. I've Good actually pick. never seen Thirteen. That doesn't surprise me somehow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, my number four is the character of Weakus Vandermeer, uh, played by Charlotte Copley in District Nine. Um. <laughs> nice yeah yeah this this movie was i think this will still this stands as one of the like biggest surprises of a movie i've ever watched um i this movie just came out of nowhere and i love the fact that you have this as this was a best picture nominee this this random like almost indie sci-fi movie about aliens but not about aliens at the same time. Produced by Peter Jackson. Produced by Peter... Well, yeah, produced by Peter... But Neil Blomkamp, I mean, this is his first movie, and really he hasn't done anything of any great consequence since. But uh, he is... Uh, he makes this movie, and Charlotte Copley comes out of nowhere and is the heart and soul of it as he plays this this guy who ends up finding that he's turning into what he is hunting. And has to try and hide it, and also is realizing the the horrors of what he's doing. Um, it, it's it's a brilliant performance that that really woke everyone up to a very brilliant actor that um, honestly should be doing more. I don't I don't know what he's been up to recently, but uh, but I loved him in this, um, and uh, and he was it, it's an amazing performance. I haven't watched this movie in a, quite a while, but I need to go back and revisit it. Because uh, yeah, I loved it when I first saw it, and and he definitely uh, stood out as a main reason why. So Charlotte Copley, District Nine, that's my number four. That's a great choice. Yeah, he has like a an Ed Norton type energy in that movie, and he, yeah. he's awesome. Like an Australian Ed Norton. <laughs> is he Australian? I'm not sure. What is he? Probably New Zealand. I don't know. South African. Well, it is does take place. Yeah, he is South African. Since it takes place in South Africa, it might it makes sense that he's South African. Anyways, all right, Zach, number four. All right, number four for me. Well, I I can almost guarantee you that you know all of all of the titles on our list are going to have numbers in them. I think we understand that, but I'm about to blow your minds here. I have a movie with a number in the title. And the character's name is also a number. That is right. Doing double duty here. I'm picking none other from one of Todd's great movies of last year, maybe two years ago. Ryder McLaughlin 
as uh, fourth grade in mid nineties. That's right. <laughs> fourth grade Beautiful. is a is he's an aspiring filmmaker. Well, originally I was gonna go with Olon Prenot as oh. so I could say oh. on the podcast without <laughs> Terry getting too mad at me. Well, he's gonna have to edit it out later. But uh, yeah, so. Um, but fourth grade's the character. See, I, th- I originally thought oh. was the one with the camera, but actually, uh, no, that's fourth grade. Oh. It's the one that crashes the car. And I'll stop saying that from here on out. Okay. Uh, yeah, so fourth grade's the one with the camera. He's the one who wants to be the aspiring filmmaker. He's like, what would we say? He's like a mixture of like Spike Jones, a little bit Paul Thomas Anderson there. Um, I don't know. What else? Like maybe a little bit of the Softie Brothers, more, more Benny than Josh. But he's awesome. And uh, Ryder McLaughlin, man, he hasn't made a whole lot since. Apparently, he was in Ballers, the TV series. But he's awesome. Fourth grade's awesome. And mid-90s is awesome. So that's like a double, triple num- numerical name. So just get extra points. That, that, was, that was amazing. Well played. Well played. Todd, number four. Okay, my number four. I went with Robert Downey Jr. in Less Than Zero. Which is an adaptation of a Brett Easton Ellis novel. And I think it's be- uh, Downey's best performance. I, I think he's really natural at doing that, that kind of thing. Because, I mean, it, like the, the drug addiction is like part of him. So he was, yeah, it was really probably cathartic for him to play this role. And I, it was like at the height of his powers, like pre-disappearing like, from Hollywood, like he was really likable. And uh, seeing his character get bullied around and like being his own worst enemy is really devastating to watch. And I think it's a brilliant performance, and I don't think the movie gets as much credit as it deserves. And clearly I took this list a lot more seriously than you guys did, but that's fine. <laughs> I'm taking it seriously. I've got I some good picks. The two mid '90s is a great movie. Yeah, I actually have like two and a half stars. <laughs> I actually, I actually have a have a Sunny Soljic as a as an honorable mention on mine. So, yeah, not Nikel. Was it Nikel Smith? No, he was my supporting actor winner from last year. Oh, yeah, he was good. Anyways, okay. Uh, number three on my list. Um, so when I heard this list, my my all-time favorite movie has a number in the title. So, you know, I had to pick at least I had to pick one performance from Apollo 13. Um, I, I thought about putting on here uh, Neil Armstrong for Apollo 11. Um, you know, he he was he gave such a natural performance. You don't even realize he's acting. But I decided not to. No. Um. So Apollo 13. I I decided to go with Ed Harris. Uh, I think we decided he had, like, the highest war of anybody in that movie when we did a deep dive of this. Uh, as Gene Kranz, uh, he's just electric as the flight commander. He's He keeps the whole room together in a way and draws that presence in in a way I don't know many other actors could do. Uh, I, I love that performance. I love the movie. I could have put the entire cast of Apollo 13 here, but I had to pick one, so I went with Ed Harris. Um, so, yeah. That's what I got. Number three. We've talked enough about it. If you want more, go listen to the Deep Dive podcast of Apollo 13. I thought you were going to go Clint Howard or something. Oh, I could have done that. Second Clint Howard mention. It's like a spot, quadruple spot. failure. but Yeah. It's got Does anyone have Greg Kinnear on any other lists? I guess we'll, we'll find out. We will. All right. Zach, number three. 
All right, well, number three is where we're getting into some questionable territory because originally I thought this was a number, but it's not actually a number. So, <laughs> you got to be kidding me. <laughs> but I'm still going to go with it because I think it's a good performance. I'm going, that's wait, wait, right. You, you teach children, right, Zach? I, you know, I'm supposed to. I don't teach math. <laughs> Numbers are scary, you know? Um so uh, I'm going with one of the great performances of any movie this decade, and that is Channing Tatum in Magic Mike XXL. Now, I believe that XXL is a Roman numeral no, number. Not. Am no, I right? Not. No? no. I, I deliberately said that that doesn't, that doesn't count. But it's, I mean, XL it's close enough. XL is a Roman numeral. XXL is not. Shouldn't it mean Magic Mike 30 is what no. I thought? 30 is XXX, which actually would have worked for the title also. But, um... <laughs> no, no, it's not It's not actually... I really... Can I... Can I, I... I defer to you, Todd. Can I use this as my pick? Because he's so great in the movie. No. I, I even said Roman numerals don't count. How the hell are we going to predict Adam's list? <laughs> Wait. Roman numerals don't count. But but sequels do. So, like, if a sequel counted by Roman numerals instead of numbers... That's not a number! <laughs> I'm going I'm going with it. Adam, I know you're listening. I know you support me. Channing Tatum's great in that movie. You know, in, in a few weeks, we're going to do our top list of the decade. I can't honestly say this movie's in my top ten of the decade. But goddammit, it's in my top 100 of the decade. I love this movie, man. And it's better than the original Magic Mike... Even though they probably should have called it Magic Mike 2 instead of Magic Mike 30, no, or whatever it is. But it's a great performance. Channing Tatum, he's the man. So Spider-Man 2 could be picked. But Mission Impossible 2 can't, because Mission Impossible 2 is a Roman numeral. We count right. our freaking podcast episodes by Roman numeral numbers, and you're not going to get included on them. I know, but so what it's are you going to do? Super Bowls. What, what, so how would we do it? It would be like, okay, Pacino and the Godfather Part 2. Pacino, or De Niro and the Godfather Part 2. That's why like, I said no that. sequels. Well, that was no. for your list. Well, I wouldn't have done it anyways, because Rome, I, I just had to, I did all digits anyways. Honestly, it made it easier to find on my, on my list of movies. But, um... <laughs> all right uh by the way uh for for reference i don't think it's gonna happen but uh greg kinnear was in two movies that had a number in the title um he was in oh jeez. he was in uh movie 43 and he was in anchorman 2 <laughs> so classic nice. the legend continues todd number three well, I don't know. Well, Zach said that Channing Tatum's a man, but I'm going with the actual phone, man. That's Eric Roberts in Star 80, because, you know, he is awesome. I think it's his best work ever. Meryl Hemingway is also great in that movie, and uh, but this is probably one of the five most difficult roles to play of the 80s, and he's just nuts. He's, like, daring, obsessive, but totally watchable, and I, Eric Roberts should have a career. Somebody give that guy a movie. It's an underrated <laughs> yes. movie. Yes. Un underrated performance. <laughs> It's a shame that he wasn't nominated for it. I love the movie. I love the performance. That's my number he should have, three. He should have been in Uncut Gems. Wouldn't he have fit perfectly in that movie? Yeah, he should have played the 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 guy who's uh, with Eric Bogosian. Yeah, I, I don't yeah, know. I forget the what muscle. the guy's name is. He totally yeah, he looks like yeah. Him. Either that or plays you know, like or plays like Eric Roberts did in National Security. 
Yes, yes. <laughs> That's what I was the thinking. The same hair. <laughs> so so can, can you guys guess how many movies Eric Roberts made in 2019? Uh, 14. Terry? Uh, I'm going to go four. 34. 34. Man, I was way off. What? In 2020, it is uh, 55. Him and Mike Mad- Michael Madsen do that. Like they have, they have like a million movies that come out. They're all like straight to video or straight to streaming or straight to nobody's ever gonna watch them. But straight to get the paycheck. Know. Nick Nick Cage is getting there, but he only does like four or five a year. All 34, right. really? I thought 14. I was gonna be pretty close. That's nuts. Some of them are TV movies, though. And shorts. Yeah, it still counts. Well, shorts don't count, but... Alright. Uh, oh, now, two... now you're making rules. I know, I know. <laughs> what qualifies as an acting credit? <laughs> what, I'm count, what qualifies as a movie? That, I mean, he said 34 movies. <laughs> Alright. Eric uh, Roberts was in a movie this year called Las Vegas Vietnam The Movie, where he played a character called Mob Boss. That's gotta that. be a sequel. You'd think so. Sorry, Terry. No problem. All right, number two on my list is uh, actually an Oscar-nominated performance. Uh, This comes from 2010, and it is uh, James Franco as Aaron Ralston in 127 Hours. Um, This was another one of those movies that um, just stuck with me, like like few movies did that year. uh, I his performance was incredible as this man who is stuck. He he base he was the the entire movie in a similar way like Tom Hanks was in Castaway, um, as he's trying to trying to get out and trying to uh, to get free from this from this rock climbing accident that he had. Uh, it, it's an amazing performance. It's the best he's ever been, um, and uh, with how little he's doing and what types of things he's doing, it might be the best he'll ever do. Um, however, then he kind of ruined it by doing such a crummy job hosting the Oscars the same year he was nominated. But, um, I love that performance. I love that movie. Uh, I had to put it on my list. So, uh, so yeah, James Franco, uh, 127 hours. That's my number two. Awesome. Yeah. I, I don't, I think that is definitely the apex of his career. I don't think he'd all get better than that. Yeah. It, it, it was one of those perfect perfect actor meets the perfect role in the perfect in the perfect setting and it just it just worked better than anything you're saying it was better than spring breakers i don't know (laughs) aliens hard to top well yeah he did have scarface on repeat and nunchucks (laughs) look at my shit (laughs) uh yeah i'll take 127 hours uh zach zach number two all right, I'm pulling an audible here because I think Todd's really upset. <laughs> I, I'm going also with, with the fucking man Eric Roberts in Star 80 because Todd is absolutely right. I had forgotten about that movie. Man, is that a great movie. That's one of the best movies of the 80s. It's Bob Fosse's best movie, and Todd is absolutely right. Eric Roberts is insane in that movie. And when I say insane, like he's actually like insane, like possessive, demanding, like psychologically like 
crazed. Well, it's also crazy about it as when I was looking at his list of, you know, his 500 movies that he made in the last 12 months, Star 80 was his first lead role. Like, he was in barely any movies before then. It was his first, like, major role. And Mariel Hemingway is great in that movie, too. But the Eric Roberts character is, like, a menace, man. He is, like, I can't, I, I, it, like, you know, he's, he's awesome, but, like, I can't see a whole lot of other actors doing that role and being both that conniving, that menacing, and just that much of, like, a, just a loser, you know, a loser hustler guy. So, uh, it's a great performance. He's awesome in it. Uh, it's a really underrated movie. Criterion should come out with a, with a box set of of it. It's a, it, it belongs on this list, and it's a shame that I didn't think of it until Todd mentioned it a second ago. So, pulling an audible, Eric Roberts, number two. What what was well, going to be? put some thought into it. So, what was going to be number two? Uh, well, you don't want to know. Okay, okay. <laughs> It'll be Maybe in I'll his put honorable, it on mention. honorable mentions. There we go. There we go. <laughs> uh, let's just say it was not quite as serious uh, or as credible as uh, <laughs> Eric Roberts in Star Eighty. <laughs> well, I was quoting the Mickey Rourke speech during my explanation, so I wasn't that serious. So, <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen Star Eighty. I, got, I don't I, even. I, is I, that I, movie? No one's talk. No one talks about it anymore. Like, is it even on DVD? Like, it's one of those lost, forgotten movies. Well, think, but it's a classic. Like everything's on DVD, but anyways. not everything. Not looking for Mr. Goodbar with Diane Keaton. Can't find that on DVD anywhere. Or that one movie about like something about the clown that. Is oh like, yeah, the day the clown dot. The day yeah, the clown cried. Yeah, well, that I well, mean, no one's Jerry seen Lewis that. Went, Yeah, except for Harry Shearer. Shout out to Harry Shearer. Shout out to Zach's dad. Uh, all right. We got to move on. I'm sorry. I'll number shut up. two. Uh, my number two is uh, Shelley Duvall in Three Women. I mentioned this on another one of our lists. I think it was like the movies that were nominated for no Oscars or something like that. I, I, I think she is awesome. I think it's one of the best characters that Robert Altman ever wrote. I, I, I think if Shelley Duvall didn't make a fool of herself in The Shining, she would have been one of the best actresses of the 80s. She was like that generations julianne moore or something but um she does with so much with this role that could have been like a caricature and uh i, I think it, she's amazing in the movie it's a hypnotic movie and a hypnotic performance and that so that comes in at number two you don't think she resurrected her career playing the mother in uh, rocket man <laughs> god she was um, in rocket man i didn't know i'll that. take the rocket i'll take the rocket not the new Rocket Man, the Harlan Williams going to Mars. Oh, Rocket Man. I was I was gonna say because wow, she's been in the news lately for not so many good things. I, I would have been surprised. I haven't seen Rocket Man, so I, I don't know. No, no, no. I don't uh, know. What Bryce you're Dallas Howard to. plays uh plays the mother in Rocket Man in the Elton John Rocket Man. But not Clint Howard. But not Clint Howard. Name that Howard. Nay. <laughs> America's favorite game. We got a Howard. Uh, okay. <laughs> number Off one. Off the rails. Off the rails. Off the rails. Uh, okay, number one on my list uh, is... Uh, yeah, this is an amazing performance. Um, also Oscar-nominated performance. I'm going with uh, Chiwetel Ejiofor as Solomon Northup in 12 Years a Slave. Um, I actually just rewatched this movie today. Uh, I've been going through some some uh, of my top movies of the last decade trying to help formulate my top 10 of of the 2010s and um man he's good in this movie he is he is so good um and uh 
just he he's perfect for that role and um he's never been better and just the way he's able to to emote everything that's going on and carry the weight of what is happening to him on on his shoulders and and show that in everything that he does it's uh it's just incredible um incredible performance uh even more incredible movie uh so number one I, it, as i was going through i mean i did just watch it today but i had to put it on there as number one so yeah chiwetelage of four solomon northup 12 years a slave number one good pick all right zach number one Okay, my number one, I went super uh, depressing European and uh, because I needed to on this list. Of course. And uh, Todd, Todd, well, actually, there's a few you could choose from for, for, for this. I decided, though, to go a different direction. I went with Russia instead of Romania, and I went with Oksana Akinshina for Lilia Forever. Which is, uh, you know, Todd can tell you, it's a, it's a great movie. It's a great depressing movie about this girl who is like, her parents are total dicks and she lives out in the snowy streets in the middle of winter and life is miserable and gray and it's depressing. And then one day she gets like, she meets this guy who's like really charming and he puts the moves on her and she believes him and then oh, just terrible shit starts happening and then she ends up in Sweden and uh, it's like a brutal, horrible, horrible thing to watch. It's like a, just a... Oh, it's a it's a cluster, man. I mean, it, it it you need you need some uh like Prozac after watching the movie. It just like packs a hit on you. But uh she's so amazing in the movie and I don't know if she's ever really done anything else. I mean, it was her first movie, I believe, and she was like maybe 15 or 16 years old when she made it and uh it's in Russian and uh Lucas Mudison, man, he made some great movies back in the day. And uh this was absolutely one of them and it's a performance I'll never forget. And it's a numerical title it's Lydia four with the number four ever thank you for specifying you're welcome or else todd was gonna have a coronary (laughs) (laughs) oh i know i've seen the movie my money was gonna be on like jean-pierre liard in like the 400 blows or something for zach's number one but you know Um, yeah everyone everyone loves that movie it's too conventional (laughs) well i I know i think the movie that you were referring to is my number one from Romania. That's Anna Maria Marinka in four days, four months, three weeks, and two days, which is one of the best performances of the two thousands. And it, uh, her her performance, I, it's hard to think of anyone else to that could play it. Not just because it's Romanian, because she's got such like volatility and emotions that she gives, and it, it's amazing. And I, I, she's clearly the best actress winner of two thousand eight. And it's a shame after the, it's can win that uh, it was ignored by the Oscars. Uh, it. It's uh, I don't know. It's one of the special movies of the two thousands, and uh, one of the best performances of the two thousands. All right. Yeah, I remember enjoying that movie and really liking it when I watched it, but honestly, I don't remember much about it now. I have to go back and revisit it. Okay, let's uh, let's do some honorable mentions here. I've got uh, I've got a few I want to mention. Um, first, uh, Kevin Spacey in Seven. Yes, this does does work for my list because in the proper spelling, yeah, the number seven is the V, so there you go. Uh, I also had Ben Foster in 310 to Yuma, um, Henry Fonda in 12 Angry Men, and uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt in 5050. That was a pretty good one. I see what you did there. Um, And then if 
the one I would have put on the list, but but Todd vetoed it because of his rules, was uh, Edward Norton in 25th Hour. Um, even though that, that it has tw- 2, 5, but it's 25th. So, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Alright, Zach, any honorable mentions? Yeah, I also had Anna Marinka, 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 Marinka. <laughs> <laughs> like Mickey Rourke. Was- uh, yeah, Bucktooth. Uh, for... Uh, Four months, three weeks, and two days. Adine Bazim <laughs> for Frozen. Adele Bazim. <laughs> Adele Bazim. <laughs> and I had John Pierre Leode. Um, my original number two was a tie between O.J. Simpson and Anna Nicole Smith and Naked Gun 33 and a third, but Eric Roberts might have been slightly better. Um, I also had uh, Edward Snowden in Citizen Four and Dopey in Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. And Glenn Gould in 32 short films about Glenn Gould. I also had John Ashcroft for Fahrenheit 9-11. Paris Hilton for One Night in Paris. The, uh, Julia Roberts, but the real Julia Roberts in Ocean's 12. Not Tess, but the real Julia Roberts. Yes. And then uh, the top... Ta- but not Bruce finally- Willis? Not Bruce Willis, but Julia Roberts? No, yeah, Julie Roberts. Okay. Yeah. Not Julie Roberts, Julie Roberts. And then uh, yeah. finally I had the tiger in Life of Pi, because Pi is a number. Oh, ooh, well, well played. But I thought, you know, I wanted to be serious about this list, so I couldn't really be funny like that. Richard Parker. <laughs> that's that's why. That's that's yes. why I put Paul Rudd for this is forty year old virgin instead. <clears throat> so, uh, well, it was. So one of my favorite things. So Richard Parker is the tiger's name, right? In Life of Pi, um, the guy who plays Pi, the older one, it who's. Who's the actor's name? I forget his name. Ben Kingsley. No, no, what? No, the guy who play the guy who plays the old the the guy who's telling the story. Is it Irfan Khan? Is that... Oh yeah, Khan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. From, like the namesake and whatever. Yeah, yeah. So he's in uh, he's in the Amazing Spider-Man, the one with uh, Andrew Garfield. And I'm watching it, and I'm waiting, and I'm waiting, and I'm waiting because Spider-Man's father's name is. Richard Parker, and he says it. He says it in that movie. He says Peter's father's name, and I'm like, it's multiple Richard Parkers that Irfan Khan got to say, and the way he says it is just perfect. But yeah, I, I had I, I had to mention it because the tiger's name is Richard Parker. And Zach, I'm surprised you didn't mention like Tony from Fifty Six Up or something. Yeah, it would have been a good one. That would have been a good one, but he's not really or maybe acting. Neil. Yeah. Nah, <laughs> but they're all good. Next year, that's that's got to top year, your that's got to top your uh, your uh, most anticipated list for sure. I wonder if any of them are dead. That that's gonna be a good question. I don't know. It's a little morbid to ask. Who is are are they all gonna outlast Michael Apted? That's the that's the real. Apparently question. not. That guy's got to be what like ninety or a hundred <laughs> at this be point. Old. He's got to be old. All right, Todd. Honorable mentions. Well, Zach said Paris Hilton in One Night in Paris. I'll go with Rick Solomon in One Night in Paris because he is a uh, <laughs> professional poker player. Yes. <laughs> and I also went with uh, Jack O'Connell in 71, which is an awesome war movie. Uh, Jessica Chastain in Zero Dark Thirty. Uh, Rip Torn in Forty Shades of Blue, the Iris Axe movie, which is a really cool, underrated movie. Lakeith Stanfield in Short Term 12, where he basically is kind of playing himself, but he is an awesome, like, has an awesome rap scene in there. Uh, Brad Pitt in 12 Monkeys, of 
self-explanatory. Robert De Niro in 1900, which uh, the five-hour version is actually a really good movie. And uh, Janet Gaynor in Sunrise, A Song of Two Humans, just because, I don't know, it's a silent oh, movie, that's why a great, not? That's a great, that's my all-time favorite silent movie. That's a great pick. I forgot that it has a subtitle. I usually just call it Sunrise. <clears throat> By the way, uh, she's awesome in that movie. First best actress. Michael Apted is seventy-eight. So, how is that? What he make it when he? So was... he made the first one. He's like twenty. He didn't make the first one. Somebody else, oh. I think, made the first one, or and I think he like came along and helped with the second, and then he took over the series. I think, I think. Anyways, all right. Uh, well, well, let's hold on. I have it right here. I have his page up. I'll just investigate my Laptet a little bit more. He he directed 21 Up. And then... 7 plus 7, it says he directed... So his first one was 63. He didn't do the first one, but I think he took it over with 7 plus 7. He might have helped the first one. As, what, what was he, like 15? Anyways. Alright. I think we lost some listeners there, Terry. Maybe. If you haven't watched the Up series before, go watch it. Go watch it. It's totally worth it. All right. On to, on to our game. Uh, Adam's List, our friend Adam Daly, who will be joining us on the next podcast as we uh, as we together reveal our almost sideways top 10 of 2019. Uh, he sent in his list of the top performances from a movie with a number in the title. And uh, we're going to try and guess it. Before we do, Todd, tell us what our score is. Uh, we have Todd with 16, Zach with 10, and Terry with 11. No decibels. Nope, no more decimals. We got rid of all those. We, 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 um, we, just... we took away Ben's partial points. Yeah, yeah. He, he's the one that messed everything up. I mean, honestly. Uh, okay, so here's, here's my list uh, for Adam. Uh, number five, I've got Brie Larson, Short Term 12. Uh, number four, Brad Pitt, 12 Monkeys. Number three, Jessica Chastain, Zero Dark 30. Number two, Charlton Heston, The Ten Commandments. And number one, Francis McDormand, Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. Zach, what do you got? I have number five, Elsie Fisher in Eighth Grade. Number four, Sam Rockwell in Seven Psychopaths. Number three, Bonnie Hunt in Cheaper by the Dozen. Number two, Ed Harris in Apollo 13. And number one, Charlton Heston in the Ten Commandments. Cheaper by the dozen. Ten Commandments. (laughs) (laughs) Completely ruined my game. (laughs) (laughs) All right, I have number five, Francis McDormand, Three Billboards Outside of Evan, Missouri. Marilyn Monroe in The Seven Year Itch. Uh, Kevin Spacey in Seven. Charlton Heston in the Ten Commandments. (laughs) Yes! And Jack Nicholson in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. All right, all right. All right, here we go. This, this has been one of, one of the highlights, is reading off Adam's list. However, he didn't give any descriptions this time. He just sent the list. That, that's always, like, the best part, is seeing how he, like, tears us apart and what he says about them. Anyways, honorable mentions for Adam. We've got Marilyn Monroe, The Seven-Year Itch. Uh, Charlton Copley, District 9, hey! Uh, Ben Foster, 310 to Yuma. We were on the same wavelength here for a lot of this. Uh, Douglas Rain, 2001 A Space Odyssey, who, he's the voice of HAL 9000. 
Um, Clint Howard slash Gene Howard in Apollo 13. He's got Blanche on the list. <laughs> All right, number five. Oh, man. His actual list here. Number five, Eminem in 8 Mile. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Number four, Lupita Nyong'o in 12 Years a Slave. Uh, number three, Brad Pitt in 12 Monkeys slash 7. Number ah, seven. Number yeah, two. <laughs> number two. Henry Fonda, actually the entire cast in Twelve Angry Men, and number one. Jack Nicholson, One Floor of the Cuckoo's Nest. <laughs> so. So I got one. To, I know. I know. I, I think we're more just disappointed <laughs> That's that the only one we banked that, on. that there was no Charlton <laughs> Heston for the Ten Commandments. However. <laughs> The amount of overlap between me and Adam was kind of scary. I mean, he had he had Twelve yeah, Years a Slave on there, Henry Fonda, Ben Foster, Charlton Paul Copley, Apollo Thirteen. Wrong. Yeah. There's a lot of but stuff. Blanche. There. Yeah, but but for I Blanche, said Howard. Blanche and uh, and Clint and Cy. Um, so you had uh, you had uh, one of them right, right? I had Brad Pitt. But it wasn't in the right spot. No. So I win. Well, you you got number one. Yeah, you win. Guess <laughs> um, that's true. Yeah, I mean, unless unless I had multiple right, you win, and that's the only way. But uh, but you got. I, I, I did have the seven year itch half predicted. True. And seven true. half predicted. But but as as, as was quite a, a dispute last time. Honorable mentions don't count yeah. unless it's a tiebreaker. They don't. Yeah. Exactly. Wait, what, what? We decided that, dude. That was the whole yeah, last time. Yeah, we had time. an argument. Cause... We had oh. quite the argument over this. That I thought I should have won because I had. We each had one right, but I had an honorable mention right. But Todd said he wins because he had his in the right spot. I feel like this should be a question on social media. Throw this out to the fans out there. I feel like get we're the in, only ones that care. <laughs> get it in libraries. Get it in libraries. Uh, People will read it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let so, the public decide. Todd increases his lead. He he had a drought. Now he has a streak. And uh, he's going to pick the next one. However, it's going to be like a month and a half before we do this again because of all the lists and then the Oscars and everything like that. So, uh, but um, yeah, he, he, get, he wins. He gets to pick the next one. Whatever. <laughs> all right. Let's move on. Moving into trivia time. Are you ready? Well, let's hope so. Oh, I forgot about this. John Boyd is a slap in the face. This is going downhill quick. Trivia. As always for trivia, we have to start out by uh, reviewing the movies that we were forced to watch last time. Uh, Zach won trivia last time, and so he got to make Todd and I each watch a movie. Um, I, I'm pretty sure that what he had me watch was meant to be a, uh, a punishment of some sort. <laughs> um, so I'm going to start out because and because all all he's been saying like for the last like month since he's assigned this to me is I can't wait to hear Terry's review of Jerry. Um, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, so I yes I had to watch Jerry the uh, 2003 Gus Van Sant movie. Uh, this is a part of his actually this is the only one of the Death trilogy I hadn't already seen. So, uh, so I was actually kind of excited to watch this. I, I'd been, I'd been wanting to watch it for a while and honestly, I was never going to get to it on my own, but, uh, it was, um, it was the first of his death. Isn't it like 80 that. minutes? 
It is. Yeah. It's no. It's it, it's a hundred and three minutes. It's an hour forty three. Oh. oh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember Ouch. that. Yeah. Yeah. It's an hour and forty three minutes. Uh, it is. It is Matt Damon and Casey Affleck, uh, each playing a guy named Jerry, and they are wandering around uh, looking for the thing. Um, that, that's all they say. They're looking for the thing, you know, the thing that all, all the paths lead to it. So we're uh, the thing at the end of the, at the end of the trail, the thing. So yeah, they go to this wilderness trail. They're gonna, they're walking along to go find the thing. Um, and, uh, they decide to take a random path to, to avoid the, you know, the crowds of people, which are, you know, the two other people that are on the trail. And, um, they end up getting lost along the way. And, uh, I, I, as I was watching this, I really felt like this was like, uh, this was like an indie, like emo version of dude, where's my car? Because that's really what they're doing. They're just wandering around the wilderness. Like, dude, where's my car? Where's your car, dude? <laughs> that, that's what they were doing. They were looking for the car, but, um, yeah, there, I, I read somewhere that, all right, this movie is roughly a hundred minutes long and this movie only has a hundred shots in it. So the, the this movie averages sixty seconds a shot. They're they're just all these really long unbroken takes. Um, honestly, I knew what I was getting into with this movie. I've I've heard of this. I've heard you guys talk about it before. I knew that it was just kind of these two guys wandering around, these long un uh, these long uncut takes that are of and and even even the amazing uh, what ten minute uncut take of 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 Casey Affleck trying to get off the rock. I'd heard about that even. Um, but, uh, honestly, the first half of this, I was, <laughs> it was pretty fun. I was really, I was really having fun with this movie. The second half, as, as it gets more serious and, and as they realize that, you know, they're, they're like having some issues out here cause they really aren't finding anything. Uh, it, it kind of gets less interesting, I feel, but, uh, when it's just like these two guys wandering around, it I, I was fascinated by it. And then the end, I was like, yeah, yeah. Um, and then you see in the end why it's a part of the trilogy. But um, uh, yeah, I gave it two and a half stars. Uh, I, th I think that's why I gave it. Didn't I give it? It was two or two and a half. I think it's two and a half. Uh, yeah, it's two and a half. I gave it two and a half stars. Um, of the trilogy, Elephant is definitely the best. By far the best. That That's one of the best things he's ever done. Um uh, last days is horrible. I hated last days. Um, it, it's it's really him just. Gus Van Sant is saying, "Let's see how pretentious I could possibly be," and uh, and people still be forced to watch it. And uh, like last days, there is a like a five minute uncut, uncut uh, shot of zoomed it's not in five on, minutes. It is. It's like five minutes zoomed in on a bush. And the only reason it's there is because at the end of the five-minute take, Kurt Cobain walks by the bush. I mean, that, <laughs> that's that one. When I saw that, I'm like, seriously, seriously, this is what we're doing here, really? Um, I never felt that with Jerry because every shot felt. I mean, everything felt like it had a purpose. Like that, that had no purpose to it. Um, However, I I will say the the ending of the uncut scene, the uncut take of uh, of Casey Affleck on the rock is is pretty anticlimactic. Um, I you know I it it was <laughs> I'm just like oh you're just 
Okay, that's all. I, okay, and 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 you're good. Okay, uh, all right. Uh, well, okay. Um, as as he needed his what what were the the his his dirt mattress to to jump onto. Um, <laughs> yeah. That just them talking and how that I mean, was there a script to this movie? I really don't think there was. I, I feel like it was just like Gus Van Sant saying, okay, go walk over there and talk while you do it. We'll record it. I don't think they were... I think they were both just, like, uh, credited with the story. I don't think any any of them had a screenplay credit. Yeah, it, it, it says written by Gus Van Sant, Casey Affleck, and Matt Damon. It, it, it was written by all three of them. Which means Gus Van Sant said, all right, this is what's going to happen. You're going to go do this. And action. And I'm not going to cut for, like, the next ten minutes. Um, anyways, yeah. Two and a half stars. Uh, it it's a weird movie, but I actually was somewhat entertained by it. <laughs> I love Jerry. It's in my top ten of two thousand three. I think it's definitely the best of the three. I think it's Van Sant's second best movie. I I don't know. I, it's, I I there's something about that that just like is endlessly watchable to me, and I, I don't know. I I I love Jerry. Yeah, I, I, I'm really high on it, too. It didn't quite make my top ten list that year, but uh, I think it's an amazing movie. I think this movie came out 15 years too early. This was a movie that should have come out on Netflix, and people should have really hated it and, like, hate-watched it and had a vocal reaction to it on social media, because then people would be talking about it. But as it is, I think it's a, it's a cult classic, and, uh, yeah, it's it's pretty awesome. I mean, their dialogue about beating that video game, that's, you know... Amazing, amazing writing, if you can call it that. Or, or the uh, I also love the uh, the the scene where Matt Damon has to talk about the uh, the wrong answer in Wheel of Fortune. Yeah, <laughs> that's a that's a good one too. That's a good one too. Uh, anyways, well, I'm, I'm glad you liked it. I I was I was actually hoping you'd like it. And yeah, you did. I, I did. It's, I, it's I, liked a good the, I liked like the first the first half of it, and then yeah, once it starts getting a little more serious, it's like yeah. I think it it's Loki Casey Affleck's charm. best performance. I think he's better in it than he was in Manchester by the Sea. Yeah, but it's not his that's best a, that's performance. That's a hot take. <laughs> All right, Todd, what did you have to watch? Uh, I had to watch the Oscar-winning foreign film from 2003, Nowhere in Africa, directed by Caroline Link. Uh, it is the autobiographical story of the Redlich family, uh, who are uh, Jewish Germans who have to flee to Kenya uh, in 1938 in order to avoid the persecution by the Nazis. Uh, the father sort of goes first, and then he starts managing a farm then sends for his wife and kids to come join them. And most of it is told from the perspective of the daughter and she ends up adapting really well she like uh makes friends with the farm cook and like uh this german guy who has been living in kenya for years the movie looks beautiful but it feels like a way older movie than it actually is the easy comparison would be to be like uh out of africa but i think it's more feels more like the the painted veil or something like that um it sounds and looks like it is straight out of the 80s and uh it's highlighted by couple of strong performances and and stuff but i mean the painted veil comparison is definitely because of like the infidelity overtones and the and uh the, the the mother character is very similar to the naomi watts character I, I don't know how it beat hero for best foreign film in 2002 i i feel like it's not it's not a bad choice like the 90s kind of or the 2000 had a lot of really bad um 
foreign film wins, but this one's actually pretty good. I give it three stars. I'm not really sure why Zach had me watch it, but uh, I I do like the movie. <laughs> yeah, so so this was for a while my number one of '03. Uh, when I w- when I first saw it, I saw it in theaters. I loved this movie when I was in high school. Um, it's weird that you just watched it. I've had I've known this movie for like you know sixteen years now. I think it's a great movie. I think you're really selling it short. I think what what's great about it is it shows how these characters who were once affluent in bourgeoisie in Germany now find themselves totally displaced and in the members of minority, not just as white people, not just as Germans, but also as Jews. It's really fascinating. I think it shows all three characters really well i think it's a great portrait of marriage i think the performances are really awesome in it i love how the characters grow in it each of them really change in kind of unique ways and we see the daughter grow up and uh it is it's definitely old-fashioned i would agree with you there but you know when you watch an old-fashioned movie that really uh grips you with its story um it's really uh it can't be matched with modern movies uh today and i love that movie i actually read the book uh, of it the the memoir on which it was based on um i had a poster of it in my room for a long time i think it is a very underrated movie and absolutely better than hero i'm glad it won best picture caroline link's a really good filmmaker she made another movie called beyond silence uh which is really good um i wish she did more work it's uh, i think one of the best movies of the 2000s i have not seen it Hmm. terry would like it (laughs) well Um, i mean i liked it i just uh i don't know 2003 I don't know how it could be your number one though it well it, it's not anymore but it was for a long time actually I really love the music from the movie too I have the music on uh, on my iPhone I listen to it sometimes I think it's great well, yeah I mean like I said the the it sounds like it's out of the 80s like it sounds like an, a definite like even like the tone of the the instrument sounds like something that would have come out of like the late 80s it's, it, Maybe, it's, it's but, really but, bizarre you know, what's wrong with that? I mean, the 80s had some good movies. I, I would think this movie's more like in the vein of like a 40s or 50s movie because it's really grand, it's sweeping, and it shows these characters in their relationships as they kind of fall apart and then they sort of get back together and then they realize that maybe they're not the same people they were in Germany. It's just a really awesome movie. I think you're, you're, you're selling it short. But that's okay because I think seeing it in a theater was, was a pretty impactful experience when I saw it. And, you know, I thought it was cool to say that I had seen the cat, the best foreign film winner back in, like, you know, 04. That was, that was a cool cachet for there, my zero friends. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you were the cool cat for that. Now, now you've upgraded to two. Two friends. Exactly. <laughs> that might be on the podcast with you. That's all I got. Hey, maybe Adam. Adam's almost a friend. That's We've hung true. Out a lot. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. On the phone while in Vegas. <laughs> All right. Giving him tips on how to use Adobe Premiere. Yes, yes, that's right. Oh, man. Okay, let's get into trivia. Zach, since you won, you are running our trivia game today. What are we doing? All right, well, we are looking at, since it is the end of the year, we are looking at some box office data. And I have some, I have three categories. Uh, We're just going to kind of go back and forth all, all, uh, I think what we're going to do is uh, we'll, we'll have three lists and we'll just go back and forth until someone misses and then we'll just kind of keep going um, until uh, they're all exhausted. So we're going to start out with uh, the top box office grossing films domestically for the year 2019. And I'm really just going to do the top 10. 
So top 10 films domestically at the box office for 2019. We're not talking international distribution because, you know, some movies get into China, some movies get into other parts of the world, some don't. Let's just stick to the domestic data. So top 10 box office movies for 2019. Are, We're just going to go back and 2019 forth. movies or 2019 yes, they, box office? Tw- 2019 movies. Okay. Good, good question. So with that said, we are going to start out with Todd. Uh, Avengers Endgame. Avengers Endgame was number one with $858 million. Um, Lion King. Lion King is number two. Toy Story 4. Toy Story 4 is number three. Captain Marvel. Captain Marvel is number five. Uh, Aladdin. Aladdin is number eight. Uh, Spider-Man Far From Home. Spider-Man Far From Home is number six. Uh, I'm gonna say Star Wars. Rise of Skywalker has probably gotten up there. Uh, that is number... Seven. Joker. Joker is number nine. Wow, you guys are nailing these. Two more. Frozen two. Frozen two is number four. Oh, Terry for the win. Well, not for the win, for the tie. Oh man. So what are we missing? Number ten. We're you're missing number ten. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, um, guys, this is impressive. I didn't. Oh, crumb! It's been right down that Disney Plus library right there, huh, Terry? Yeah, seriously. Um, I'm gonna say Dumbo. It's wrong. Dumbo is not correct. Dumbo was number twenty-two this year. Uh, Todd, do you have a guess? Um, I mean, not really. Us? Just, <laughs> uh, us was closer. Us was number 12. Uh, number 10 is It Chapter 2. Oh. Uh, I would so, have guessed I had the right genre. <laughs> very, very impressive for both of you. We have a score of Todd 5, Terry 4. We're going to move on to our next list, which is the box office, domestic box office Highest box office earning movies of the 2010s. Now, again, category is this, is this essentially the same. We're just looking at movies with domestic gross, uh, not international grosses, but we're looking for the highest earning movies of the 2010s. Domestic, you said, yeah? Domestic, yeah, not international. So we started with Todd last time. This time we're going to start with Terry. Uh, Avengers Endgame. That is number two. Are we doing top ten, you said? Yes, top ten. Okay. Uh, Star Wars Force Awakens. That is number one. Um, Star Wars The Last Jedi. That is number seven. Toy Story 3. Toy Story 3 is number 19. Sorry, Todd. Terry, it's your chance to pick up some points here. Top ten Domestic box office earners of the 2010s. Black Panther. Black Panther is number three. Uh, Avengers Infinity War. 
That is number four. Avengers. Number six. Um, well, let's see here. Lion King? Lion King is number nine. Oh, I, uh, I don't know if Rise of Skywalker would have cracked the list yet. Uh, let's go with Avengers Age of Ultron. That is not on the list. That is number 13, but still a very impressive round. Is Rise of Skywalker on the list? Rise of Skywalker is not on the list. Yeah. The only ones you missed were Jurassic World at number 5, oh, Incredibles wow. 2 at number 8, and Rogue One, A Star Wars Story at number 10. Ah, uh, I was gonna say Rogue One. I had, I don't know, that's uh, that's crazy that Toy Story three was that low. I, I thought that was one of the top grossing of all time. Plus, I don't know. I thought Frozen would have been on the list. Yeah, Frozen is number twenty six. Frozen two has actually earned more money to as of today than the first Frozen has. Wow, it's pretty amazing. Okay, last category. This is where it gets fun. Are what, we ready for a little fun? What's the score? Oh, yes. Uh, Terry handing it to Todd at this point. Score is 10 to 6, Terry leading, but there is plenty of opportunity to come back on this final list, which is a definitely a fun list. So we're still going to stick with the domestic box office from the 2010s, but this time we're going to add two very important parameters. Top domestic earners at the box office of the 2010s that were rated R and were not sequels. I have 25 films on this list. 25 films. The top 25 R-rated non-sequels of the 2010s. Domestically. At the box office. It's hard to believe there's even that many. Because R-rated movies died this decade. Thanks to Marvel. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Uh, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. The, so long, adult entertainment. Okay. We're going to go back to Todd because he started the first list and he has the most ground to make up. So we'll go to you, Todd. American Sniper. American Sniper is number two. Good call. Uh, it. It is number four. It chapter two. Well, I just said they weren't sequels, so R-rated oh. non-sequels. Oh, but sorry. I'll, okay. I'll, I'll, right, get, I'll give you that get, one. That's fine. R-rated uh, non-sequels. Get out. Get out. Uh, get out is number nine. Us. Us is number 10. Wow. 9 and 10, really? Deadpool? Yep. Deadpool is number 1. <laughs> Highest grossing R-rated non-sequel of the 2010s. Uh, Bridesmaids. Bridesmaids is number 11. Um, uh, Django Unchained? Django Unchained is number 14. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is number 21. It was barely making the uh, Wolf of Wall Street. Oh, yeah. That makes sense. Uh, Wolf of Wall Street, I do not have on this list. Oh! That made over $200 million. Yeah, that is kind of odd. Let me double check something. <laughs> Maybe I did not get this from the most reputable source. Give me just a second here. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, because I, that sounds right that it made a lot of money, but maybe it that maybe maybe it didn't. I I, I don't know. Uh, no no no. It it only made 116 million uh, domestically. So uh, it, it you you are you are wrong, Todd. Wow. Terry. Um. Do you have any more? 
gosh. I, I'm just in shock that I won. Um, Technically, it's not over yet. You can, uh, I can add, I uh, can lose four points. Gasoline to the fire. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, hmm. You are missing the number three film, the number five, six, seven, and eight films. Yeah, I know. Um, Mad Max Fury Road. Mad Max Fury Road is on the list. That's number seventeen. The Revenant. Now I guess that's a that's, that's a, a sequel. sequel. It doesn't so count. I I guess I, we shouldn't count that one. Oh, okay. Yeah, wait, wait. Ni- nice source there, Zach. Okay, then don't don't count <laughs> no, that, that one. The Revenant. Uh, the Revenant is on the list. That's number eight. Um, how the hell did the Revenant make more money than the Wolf of Wall Street? <laughs> considerably more money, actually. But. Uh, Shutter Island. Uh, no, Shutter Island didn't didn't make the list. Okay. You're you're forgetting a film that you already mentioned earlier. Although I don't know if we consider this film a sequel. Uh, but it is Joker, which is the number three film. Uh, highest oh, earning R-rated yeah, non-sequel. I guess that would be a, that's not a sequel. I, I wouldn't really call it a sequel. No. Number five is Logan. Six is Ted. Seven no, is Logan. Star is Logan is a sequel. Okay, well then I wouldn't count Logan, but I think Terry still wins. <laughs> but a pretty impressive showing by Terry. Now comes when was a, the last time you beat Todd in trivia? It's been a long time. Now comes the hard part: is I have to try and figure out a movie that I've seen and Todd hasn't that I need to assign him to watch. This is this is the difficulty with winning. This is why I never win. You know, it, it's not because you guys know more than me. It's because... Because you don't want to win? It's because I... Yeah, I don't want to win because I, I can't think of anything to make you watch. But I'll, I'll figure something out. Wow. That was a good one. And you actually... It was actually something I could do all right up. Anyways. Cool. That was a good one. That was a good I one. just didn't spit out all the stupid Marvel movies. Yeah. That that was you should have done that, dude. All right. Anyways, let's let's uh let's wrap this up. Quote of the daytime. Strawberries. Not the cheese. Womack. With a little sex in it. Quote of the day. And I won, so I get to I get to do the first quote. So my quote is uh is from one of my uh one of my favorite performances in a numbered film, and that is uh, from Steve Carell and Forty Year Old Virgin. Uh, at the beginning of the movie, they're talking about you know how, what they did over the weekend and their you know what conquests they had, and then they they ask they ask uh they ask him what his what he did, and he goes, "Oh man, Friday, I really wanted an egg salad sandwich." And I was just obsessing about it. And I was like, man, I'm going to make one of those. So, so Saturday, I went out and got like a dozen eggs. And then I, I boiled them all. I just, I spent, I don't know, probably three hours. Like like, like three and a half hours making, you know, the, the mayonnaise and, and the onions and, and paprika. And, you, you know, the, the necessary accoutrement. And, and then by the time I was done, I didn't even feel like eating it. And I didn't have any bread. So. Yeah, I could imagine. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, there you go. That was, that was my quote. <laughs> it's either going to be that or top of the morning to you all. Here we are on the boulder 
from uh, 127 Hours, James Franco. Or from or from Jerry. Yeah, yeah. I, I oh, thought that's where you're going with that one. <laughs> There's that too. It, it's describing they, they, both, they but it's talk actually that much from stuff. 127 Hours. Yeah, that would be way too many words for <laughs> Jerry. And, and way and way too uh, animated. Um, all right, uh, Zach, you're next. All right, well, my quote of the day comes from one of the films on my list, my power ranking list, which was mid-90s, and it's when Ray is talking to fourth grade, and and he says, what about you, fourth grade, what do you want to do? And fourth grade says, I don't know, I guess, like, make a movie or something, and then says, this gentleman think he's Spielberg or some shit. You know you gotta say words to make movies, gentlemen. I heard you talk but twice, and then fourth grade says, yeah, I guess it's a stupid idea. (laughs) You, you, you know, the quote goes a whole lot better if you don't sound like you're reading it, Zach. <laughs> well, I wanted to make sure I got all the wording absolutely correct, except for the words I couldn't say. <laughs> Character's name is fourth grade. You don't have to read it like you're in fourth grade. <laughs> Zing. That was dope, right. yo. <laughs> Todd, you get the last word. Alright, my quote comes from Star 80. It's from uh, the fucking man, Eric Roberts, as Snyder. He says, Bastards, everyone kissing your ass. Everybody on their fucking knees. Well, not me. I don't kiss ass for nobody. And that's just a good rule of thumb to live by, I feel like. So. What's the, it's the man. Uh, oh, man. Oh, this was fun. This was fun. I think we're starting off 2020 with a great podcast here. Thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, we had a lot of fun. Hopefully you had as much fun as we did listening to it. Uh, find us all over the internet, almostsideways.com. Uh, find us on uh, Facebook. Find us on Twitter, at almostsideways. I'm at almostsideterry. Zach is at prozac36. Todd is not on Twitter. Um, and uh, we'll catch you next time with our top 10 movies of 2019. Until then... Have fun watching movies. Despite your crass behavior, I'm glad we were able to do this together.